listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. This morning we're starting a new teaching series, and, and to be honest, it's a, it's a little different than anything we've done before. Uh, we met as a teaching team recently, and, and through some discussion, we discovered that uh, we ha- we've talked a lot about the importance of community and being in a family, and we've discussed how isolation is one of the enemy's most effective tools because if he can get us to feel alone, it's just a small jump to, being, to feeling completely defeated, right? And, and we've talked about how crucial it is to let someone in, to have someone in your life to share the deep stuff with, someone who you can let your guard down with. Uh, but we noticed as we were talking, that we haven't talked very much about how to keep your relationships healthy. And and honestly, a series about healthy relationships always seemed kind of intimidating to me because that made me feel like I had to be an expert on healthy relationships. And and frankly, I'm still learning. (laughs) So, um, but uh, because no matter how you slice it, relationships are dangerous Things Like they're dangerous and allowing our, yourself to be truly known by someone, that's a scary thing, right? Like, um, honestly, I know some people who are so guarded that they never truly let anyone in and they live a lonely life because of it. And, and because of the thought, because of the thought of lowering the drawbridge, right? And, and letting someone in past the guards is terrifying to them because it, it makes them feel vulnerable, right? And, and, and letting someone in, it, 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 like, it makes us feel vulnerable. And, and, and the danger in relationships is that if you take the leap and let someone in, you not only give them the ability to, uh, to truly know you, but you give them the ability to hurt you. You expose the soft spots behind the armor you wear. And the people that, that you let in can see where you're vulnerable, right? And, and, and that's the risk of relationships. It's, the, it's this risk that keeps us from letting others past our defenses. We, we believe lies from the enemy, like, well, if they... If they only knew the true me, they would run in horror, right? Or, or if they knew what I was really thinking or about this bad habit that I have, they would never in a million years want to be my friend. These lies keep us from experiencing the richness of knowing and being known the way God has created us to be. Because yes, there is a deep risk in relationships, but the truth is... The risk is worth it. And that's why having healthy relationships is so important. And and so we decided as a teaching team we should probably spend some time talking about that. And whether it be friendships or marriage or parenting or dating and so on, having a biblical view of healthy relationships is crucial. Because chances are, if you live on the earth, 
which I'm guessing you all probably do. If you live on the earth, chances are you're going to encounter another human. Raise your hand if you've encountered another human before, if you've had to interact with a human. Oh, good. I'm not alone. You're not alone. I'm not alone. Doesn't it feel good to not be alone, right? It's not alone. We're not alone. That's awesome. It just feels good to not be alone because we weren't created to be alone, right? We were designed by our creator. We, we, we weren't designed by our creator to be an island, right? And, and in the very early chapters of Genesis, God and Adam were, were walking in the cool of the day, which I love, which incidentally was like the birth of cool, right? Like, it was like, that was the birth of cool. Uh, that's where cool comes from, because nothing is cooler than hanging with God one-on-one. God, hanging God on one-on-one is the coolest, right? That's where cool comes from. So, um, but, but God and Adam are just hanging out in the garden, right? They're hanging out, naming animals, right? God's kind of like this, like... Okay, Adam, what's this one? Adam's like... Hippopotamus. God's like... Okay, cool, cool, all right, okay. So God's like, all right, well. Adam, what's this one? Duckbilled platypus. God's like, now you're just making stuff up. <laughs> but, <laughs> and after a while of this, like this went on for a while, right? And, and after a while of this, God decided that it was not good for man to be alone, right? It's actually kind of comical if you think about it. It's kind of humorous. Like God's like, oh man, it's not good for that guy to be alone. He needs somebody else. Like, whoa, Dougville platypus, come on, right? And, <laughs> And it was God, actually, who decided it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. I know a lot of Christians who are like, oh, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus, and that's all I need. That's all I need. I don't, I don't need to make being a part of a church a priority because the, the, my relationship with God is all good, and that's, that's all that matters, right? And No, Adam was there. He tried that, and He was alone with God, and God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so on the greatest day of Adam's life, which his life wasn't that long at that point. like It was probably like four days, so it's not all that exciting. But No, I'm just just kidding. I don't really know that. But on on the greatest day of Adam's life, God creates Eve, right? the greatest day of Adam's life, and something within Adam was fulfilled. And, and when he saw her for the first time, he was like, whoa, man. Dad joke. Hashtag. <laughs> so, but, all right, settle down now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> something in him was changed forever that day because God... As the creator knew his creation, he knew that it was not good for for us to be alone. And acknowledging who we were created to be is the easy part, but acting on it, right? Acting on it's the tough part, and because there's a steep risk involved, depending on how much of our, uh, uh, depending on how much of the enemy's lies we've already bought into, if we're not careful, we can begin to ask ourselves: Is the risk even worth it? 
Why should I even bother letting this person in? Because they're not going to like what they discover about me, or, or maybe they're going to try to hold me accountable to some things that I need to change in my life. And honestly, I don't want to hear it. Or, or once they, they find out who I really am and the things that I've done, they're just going to leave me anyway. So why even bother? When we have questions like this about why God wants us to do something we feel hesitant to do, it's always a good idea to look at how Jesus handled himself regardless, uh, regarding our questions. rather. And uh, if anyone knew that with relationships, the struggle is real, it was Jesus, right? <laughs> Jesus, uh, let's just take a brief look at, at Jesus' inner circle. You have Peter, who is one of the closest people to Jesus. But if you read the whole narrative across the Gospels, you'll discover very quickly that Peter is actually very excitable, He's very excitable. He, he thinks in extremes. He's always going off half-cocked, and many times Jesus has to like put him in his place and make him think about what he's saying, you know? And I mean, seriously, if you uh, look at Jesus' crew, it's a pretty ragtag group of individuals. Um, he was always like breaking up arguments and trying to get them to think before they speak, and it sounds like me and my boys, like... Um, Jesus one time even broke up an argument over housework between two sisters that he knew. Talk about like risky business, like getting between two sisters. Uh-uh, uh-uh. But in the end, through the, throughout the gospel narrative, you, can, you, can, you can't help but sense that they developed a, a, like a little family. And even amongst the dysfunction, because Jesus knew that the risk of being in relationships was, was, was worth it, even if it was hard sometimes. The risk of being in community was worth it. And a while back, I had something uh, happen in my life that made me feel like closing off all my close connections with people. And I'm just sharing something sincere from my, from my life, uh, all joking aside. Um, I had this person in my life, and, and he and I were good friends, and and uh, actually, I spent a lot of time pouring into this person and trying to help build them up and, and coach them into who God was calling them to be. And we met regularly and, and talked about all the good stuff, but we also talked about the really hard things in life. And I felt like I knew this person very well, and, and we were friends for years. And, but a time came where I felt completely betrayed by this person, and, and I, I'm not going to get into all the hairy details because it's all ancient history, and, and there's forgiveness and grace and all that stuff, but, but uh, suffice to say that I stuck my neck out for this person and found out that I was doing so under false pretenses, and uh, this person had lied to me time and time again, and, and because I was a trusting guy, I bought it hook, line, and sinker. And uh, like I said, there was a time where it all came to a head. And I was deeply wounded to find out the truth behind the lies. And uh, so the next day, after all, everything went down, I'm sitting in my chair at home and trying to have some quiet time with God. But honestly, I was just mad. I was just mad. I was angry at this person. I was angry at myself for being so trusting and, 
And really, if I'm being honest, I was really angry with God for not revealing the truth about this person before I got hurt in the process. Anybody ever been there? So I'm sitting there, and I got my coffee, and worship music is playing in the background, and, and finally I decide to be obedient in my relationship with God, and, and even, even though I'm angry with Him, so I, so I just, I, I flip open to the, to the, I flip open my Bible to the book of Luke, and, and right there, guys, there was this passage, and we're, the words practically jumped off the page at me. And as I read this passage, it brought me more comfort than I can ever fully put into words. And so, so I, wanna, I want you to uh, follow along in this passage. It's Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 7. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Uh, this verse is seriously going to blow your minds. So get ready. Hold on to your hats because... Uh, if you wore a hat today, hold on to it, because this is going to blow your mind. All right, you ready? Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Okay, that's it. Isn't that good? <laughs> Guys, doesn't that just make you want to praise God? Like, let's, let's just lift up a shout of praise right now. Hey. <laughs> You guys are too kind. That's awesome. I mean, I, I, I just think this passage, it, it literally makes me want to break out the tambourine like, James, son of Alphaeus, glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Woo! All right, right. No. <laughs> wow, I should not dance. I'm sorry. I, I apologize for that. <laughs> right, yeah, there you go, there you go. But, but honestly, guys, like, I'm sitting there, I'm joking a little bit about how, you know, how exciting this, this verse is, but I really do believe that it holds a deep truth. And, and, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, I've just been freshly wounded by betrayal, and I'm here forcing myself to have some quiet time with God because I know that's the right thing to do, and it's the God-honoring thing to do. And, but really, I'm just feeling hurt and angry, and I come across this passage, and I just start reading it, and... and and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who's called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And I get to this last part, and waves, literally just waves of comfort washed over me from the Lord. And it says, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. How many of you have heard of Judas Iscariot before? Uh, of course you have. He's like, the, the dude is one of the most infamous people in the Bible, right? If you don't know who Judas is, it says clearly here that he was a disciple of Jesus. Judas is the disciple who held and accounted for the money that Jesus and his disciples had. And long story short, Judas was always more about the money, power, and influence. 
he was going to have by being associated with Israel's Messiah than he was actually about being influenced and taught by Jesus. He knew Jesus was the Messiah. He had seen the miracles, signs, and wonders. He knew that Jesus was the one who all of Israel had been waiting for. He thought he knew how it was all going to play out. He thought. Judas thought Jesus was going to defeat Israel's enemies and claim the throne, which by association would have been really good for Judas, right? Uh, he, was, he was right about one thing, though. There was a throne in Jesus' future. It just wasn't the one Judas was thinking about. And when Judas found out that Jesus was actually going to die on a cross instead of claim a crown, Judas cashed in what he felt like was a losing hand. Towards the end of Luke in chapter 22, starting at verse 3, we see where Judas's loyalties really lie. Uh, Chapter 22, verse 3. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot. He was on... He was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of And for Judas, that was certainly true. Later, Jesus is in the Mount of Olives, right, praying for the strength for what he knows he has to do, which was die on the cross. He tells the disciples to stay awake with him and pray that they do not fall into temptation. But in verse 47, it goes on to say that while he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear, his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched him and healed him. Touched his ear and healed with him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who came out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus is in the middle of asking his disciples to stay awake and pray with him for strength. And before he can even finish, Judas comes in with a mob of officers and priests. Usually when there's a crowd of people coming towards Jesus, it's because they want his favor. People would come in droves to hear Jesus teach, have him heal their sick, and basically just to be in his presence. But there was a whole different vibe to this crowd that was coming. And they were being led by by Judas, one of Jesus' own. Judas approaches Jesus, and of all things gives him a kiss, which sounds weird, but it was customary for disciples to greet their teachers with a kiss. But in this case, The greeting wasn't a sign of respect. It was an act 
of betrayal. And pretty soon the officers placed Jesus under arrest, and the road to the cross was underway. But just as the night is darkest before the dawn, the account of Jesus doesn't end there. And I thank God every day that there's more to the story than just a man dying on a cross. We find the beauty of the cross in the resurrection of Jesus. And believe it or not, there is beauty in this story of Judas. If you look back in Luke to before Judas betrayed Jesus on the Mount of Olives, we find Jesus reclining at a table about to partake in a Passover meal with his disciples. This particular meal is commonly referred to as the Last Supper. Let's read beginning at verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, This Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell, for I tell you that you, <laughs> sorry, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrayed me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. See, if you're paying attention, we see that Jesus knew the whole time. And we see that he knew he was going to be betrayed. And, and though this, this scripture doesn't specifically say it, some of the other gospels confirm that Jesus knew exactly which one of his disciples was his betrayer. And Jesus broke bread with him anyways. Actually, the Gospels vary a little bit when it comes to uh, Jesus' betrayal by Judas. And I chose this one because this is the one that the Lord spoke to me through during my time of hurt. But in the book of John, Jesus actually washes all of the disciples' feet before his betrayal. Do you think that included Judas? Can you imagine washing the feet of someone you knew was about to stab you in the back? I don't even like feet. <laughs> I mean, I just don't. But Jesus, <laughs> he, he, but what a humble servant our Savior is, Amen. right? Amen. I want to be more like him every day. I, I want to grow to love feet like Jesus loved feet. <laughs> 
but he washed his feet as, as an act of love, all, the feet of all of his disciples. And, and Jesus in, in the book of John also goes on to quote a prophecy from King David in Psalm 41.9 that says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Throughout all the Gospels, there may be some different stories of how it all went down with Judas, but one fact remains the same, and and that fact is that God was at work in in Judas' betrayal of Jesus. God was at work, and, and if God was still at work during the betrayal of his own son, what makes us think that he is still not at work in us when we feel hurt by our relationships. Just to clarify, I'm not saying that God caused Judas to betray Jesus because the Bible clearly says that the devil entered Judas at the time of betrayal. But what I am saying is that God was still at work despite Judas's betrayal. Did he know it was going to happen? Yes. After all, he's God, right? He's God. He knows a lot of stuff. But God's greater plan was to make a way for not just the redemption of one man, but the way for all mankind. The plan was so much bigger. A plan that will directly affect the eternity of all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. So what makes us think that God isn't still at work in our times of betrayal, heartache, and hurt? Relationships are risky things. But it's how we respond in these times of personal crisis that either points to our trust in God or it doesn't. In today's society, someone in Jesus' position knowing that they were going to be betrayed by someone closest to them, probably would, would, would be tempted to assume the role of victim. The temptation would probably be for, for Jesus to use it as an excuse to shut everyone out, including those closest to him, like his disciples. But Jesus knew that the risk of relationships was worth it. Think about all the beautiful moments Jesus would have missed out on if he isolated himself. He would have missed moments like Peter walking on the water and the faces of his disciples when, he, when they first witnessed him perform a miracle. Jesus would have missed watching their faith grow as they gathered up 12 baskets of bread and fish after feeding 5,000 people. Not to mention the pure astonishment when Jesus greeted them in the upper room after his resurrection. See, even though one of Jesus' disciples turned out to be a bad seed, he still saw the value in relationships, even when they were hard. For us, sometimes we get caught up on focusing on the one that hurt us. We get so caught up on focusing on the one that hurt us that we forget about the other 11 who stuck by our side. Mm -hmm. And although it's not easy, God is still at work even in your pain. And we can be encouraged to know that Romans 8.28 says, 
What, what Romans 8.28 says still holds as true today as it did when Jesus walked the earth. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose is always for our good and his glory. Amen. Our good, but his glory. And we can trust in that even in our deepest pain. Because even when we get hurt, not being alone, it's worth the risk. And there is comfort for our souls and restoration for our relationships that is ripe for the taking in Jesus Christ. I want to invite the worship team to come on back up. And I told you earlier about a time when I was feeling betrayed by someone and, and I was hurt and angry. And, and, but what I didn't tell you is that Kim and I are very prone to isolation. We're very prone to it. And, and when things get tough, we, we, we tend to close ranks and we get very selective of who we let into our personal life. And it's, it's been that way ever since the beginning of our marriage. And, and a couple of years ago, in the middle of a particularly hard season, we made a conscious choice to choose community over isolation. We spoke with some very close friends of ours and told them what was going on in our life. And over the next few weeks, we would begin to have dinner together with those people every week. Every week. We committed to each other that if at all possible, we would keep the dinner commitment weekly. We eventually began to refer to our gatherings as family dinner. And through our dinners, a giant weight was lifted. No matter how bad a week one of us had, the, other, the others were there to listen, comfort, and eventually make the person laugh. We still meet to this day, in fact, and, and it's a huge blessing to Kim and I, mostly because we don't feel alone anymore. It may feel like I'm harping a little bit on this isolation thing, but the truth is I've lived it. I know what isolation can do. I know how detrimental it can be. We all need people we can count on. That we let past the guards. That we can lay down our armor with. It's always a risk. But the risk is worth it. You never know, instead of carrying around baggage from people who have hurt you, you might just find yourself in the richness of community. Because the beauty of community far, far outweighs the risk. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what healthy, God-honoring relationships look like with maybe the person we're dating or in our marriages or with our kids and, and a lot more. And I promise there's something 
for everyone in this series, so keep an open mind. But before we address all that, before we jump in to specific relationships, I just felt like some of us are still carrying around old wounds from past relationships, and we need healing from God in these in these relationships, in these wounds. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, I, I firmly believe that tendencies can be to try to put a Band-Aid over a bullet wound, metaphorically. We try to pretend that it's not there, not, not like it's this deep, dangerous wound, and it's you know, getting infected and, and, and affecting the rest of our lives. And rather than deal with the wound, we just try to cover it up, pretend like it doesn't exist. And I believe some of you here today have those wounds. And I want you to know that there is healing that there is restoration in Jesus Christ. And so if you want to receive prayer, I want to invite the, the core team up, the core leaders up to, to pray with people. Um, if you want to receive prayer today, just come and sit on the front row and somebody will come and pray with you. Let's not leave this place today covering up the deep wounds. Let's do the hard work of seeking Jesus for restoration. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. Father, we, uh, God, we just humble ourselves before you, Lord. Lord, you are a mighty counselor. You hold names like the King of Kings. Abba, Father. And on this day, Lord, we say no more. We say no more. No more to listening to the lies of the enemy. We say no more. To feeding on doubt. We say no more to carrying around the baggage of our relationships. Lord, we ask you to come into this place with your mighty healing power, Lord and just release a wave of comfort and healing, Lord. Lord, that the deep wounds would be healed in your name. Lord, that there would be restoration for relationships, God. Relationships that have been affecting our lives, all of our life sometimes, God. Lord, I pray you give us the courage 
to let someone in. We're gonna continue on in a, in a, in a time of prayer. And in a little bit, I'm gonna call the ushers forward. But if you'd like to receive prayer, come on forward at, at any time and, and we would love to pray with you. podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.